Welcome to Samford University's Campus Worship. We hope you enjoy the presentation. My name is Kevin Naylor, and I am the college pastor at Shades Mountain Baptist Church, and I think that some of my friends are here with us this morning. Are there some friends here from Shades? Okay, there, there's a couple. They didn't come to Convo today. That's okay. Um, I'll, I'll make sure to let Danny Wood know that, our senior pastor. Um, well, this morning, my beautiful wife, Allie, is with us here in the front row, and um, I'm just really glad to be with you all this morning and open up God's word and hear what he has to say to us. So would you pray with me as we, uh, as we begin? Our gracious Father, we, uh, we ask that you would guide my words and that you would be pleased with the meditations of our hearts. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. Amen. So when I uh, moved out to college, I'm originally from Charlotte, North Carolina. Go Cam Newton. Panthers. Here we go. Uh, moved from there all the way across to the West Coast to go to college at California Baptist University. And uh, when I moved there, I didn't have a car, okay? I know probably many of you are in that predicament. You're just relying wholly on your ability to make friends and bikes and scooters and things, okay? So I moved there, didn't have a car, didn't get a car until my, uh, my junior year of college. Got a beautiful car, a 1993 Forest Green Pontiac Bonneville. It was beautiful. I mean, it was beautiful. And... Uh, my first car, and so I didn't really know how to take care of this car, okay? So I ended up driving this thing into the ground within a year and a half, okay? So I didn't know that um, if you overheat an engine more than a couple times, eventually that engine just hates you and gives up on you entirely. So I drove this thing completely into the ground. So by the time it was uh, time for me to graduate, and uh, my wife and I had been married for about six months at that time, we didn't have a car. So her parents graciously gave us one of their cars because mine was completely dead, we drove out here so I could attend Beeson Divinity School. I'm, I'm in my last semester over there. And uh, we got here. My wife got a job, and so she's using the car. I don't have a car. We're dirt poor. We don't have money for a car. So what do you do when you don't have money for a car? You get the next best thing, which is a scooter, okay? I'm not talking about, like, a little boy Razor scooter, okay? I'm talking about a man's scooter, all right? And that is not an oxymoron. That is, that's a thing, a man's scooter, Okay. Bought a scooter, and uh, it was a, a red 150cc Vespa. Was scooting around Birmingham, just loving my life. You know, I had guys on Harleys throwing me, like, the low, the low peace sign, which is apparently, like, the universal sign for you're one of us, like, you're in. And I'm like, I'm a real boy. Like, I'm in. I'm part of the, the family. And, uh, you know, and, but the thing is, like, you know, driving one of these things is, uh, is, is dangerous. I mean, you're, you're out there, you're in the... You're in the elements, okay? You're in the elements. You're in the, you've got wind in your face, you've got earth around you, fire, who knows? I mean, you, ne you never know when you're on a scooter what could happen. So you, that's dangerous. And then you've got to, like, pay really close attention to what you're doing, okay? So you've, you've got to have focused attention right in front of you, right here. I don't know, what, what is this? This would be, what, not 10 and 2, but something. So you're just right here, looking ahead, going and paying attention. But the problem is, everybody out on the road thinks they're better than you, okay? Because you're like this tiny little person crunched down like this, riding, you know, just humming along on your scooter. So I remember the first day I had this scooter, there was um, this like seven-year-old girl who stuck her head out, the, uh, out of a window when her mom was driving and pulled out her phone and was just like taking photos of me and laughing at me. Just, 
just it's dehumanizing, okay? So it's dangerous, people hate you, and it's you feel bad about yourself, and you know, and it's not any better that you're like perpetually in everyone's blind spot because you're so tiny. Um, so it, you know, it's hard enough to drive, you know, a scooter or a car, for that matter of fact, out on out on the open road. But imagine if, imagine if for some reason there was something inside of me that said, "Keep going forward, but look in your rearview mirror the entire time. Like look back, like go forward, but look behind you the whole time." Okay. It sounds ridiculous, but some of us uh, live our lives this way, okay? Some of us live our lives looking in the rearview mirror, trying to go forward in our lives, but we just, we keep looking at our past. There's something inside of us that won't let us get over our past. So it, it might be something in our past, when we look back there, nine times out of ten, our, our past is not pretty for most of us. We see a trail of, of carnage behind us, okay? Things done to us, Right? Family members, friends, other Christians, done seriously wicked, evil things to us, said things to us that have burrowed their way down into our hearts, things that we'll never be able to forget. And we see those things in our past, and, and, they, and they, they weigh us down as we try to go forward. Or maybe you, maybe you don't try to go forward looking in your rearview mirror, but maybe you try to go forward just like staring at all the cars you know, in the lane next to you. So you're trying to go forward like this, but you're, you're driving looking like this to your side. So some of us, I think we, we, we try to go forward just staring at everyone around us, comparing ourselves, right? I'll give you one word, Instagram, okay? Instagram, it's a dangerous place, Instagram, that world it is, okay? What happens when you get on Instagram? I mean, you see people eating food better than your food, you see people with bodies better than your body, and yes, that does uh, count for guys too. You see people who are happier than you, so it makes you sad. You see people who are sadder than you, and it makes you happy. You see people having better devotional times than you, and it makes you mad. You get mad over someone reading the Bible better than you do. We compare ourselves. We look to the side trying to move forward. We, we, we let these colorful squares determine our identity and contentment and joy and, and the reality is, is we're, we're far too easily satisfied and we're far too easily dissatisfied but what happens when you try to go forward and you're either looking back like this or you're trying to go forward and you're looking sideways like this you wreck you wreck okay we've all been there you might be there right now you feel like your life is a wreck, messed up, can't keep going. But what is it that makes us live like this? I mean, we, 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 we've never drive like that. This is ridiculous. But we live our lives like that, so what is it that makes us live like that? What is it that makes us uh, not stay alert and watchful, looking straight ahead, but instead of looking behind us or beside us? What makes us live in this absolutely insane way? The Bible tells us that it's our hearts. Our hearts. Our hearts are sick. Our hearts are broken. Our hearts need watching. And ultimately, our hearts need healing. So this morning, we're going to look at what God has to say to us in Proverbs 4, verse 20 through 27. So if you have your, your electronic scroll, 
you want to you open up your electronic scroll, you can go to uh, Proverbs 4, 20 through 27. And what we'll see is that a wise life is characterized by a healed heart. A wise life is characterized by a healed heart. So read with me Proverbs 4, 20 through 27. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So I want to draw your attention specifically to verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So we have to ask ourselves, what, what is the heart? Okay, it's, it's a word that we're familiar with. We, we use it, and I mean, it's a meaningful word in our language. You know, if something, you know, if somebody really is saying something that they, you can tell matters to them, you say they're speaking from their heart. If you want somebody just to cut to the chase, you say get to the heart of the matter. I mean, it, it's, it's a word that means a lot to us. And in contemporary culture, in our contemporary culture, the, the way typically the heart is understood is it's the center of our emotions, it's the seed of our emotions. It's what produces our emotions, and that is who we are, right? So currently, in our time, we would say that to be fully human, to really be alive and to be a true person is to live out what's inside of you, what you feel. Like, externalize that, how you feel inside. Don't keep that. Don't suppress that. Live it out. And we say that this is, this is what separates us from animals, right? Like, animals, they just do what nature tells them to do. Like, they don't, they don't have feelings, passions, emotions. They just kind of do what they do. But it's not always been that way. For a long time, uh, the heart was understood not as the seat of our emotions, but as the seat of our intellect. It's where our thoughts came from. So to be a human was to be someone who could think and could reason, and that's what set us apart from animals, because they just do what they feel like doing. They don't, they don't think. We're, we're able to use our reason to navigate through our, uh, our emotions, mixed and varied as they may be. But what does our text this morning say about the heart? What, what comes from the heart? Is it, is it just emotions? Is it just thoughts? Verse 23 says that from the heart flow the springs of life, everything. So every stream has a source. It begins somewhere. Like so it's not just an infinite <laughs> stream that just kind of goes in loops. Like it starts somewhere at a babbling little hole in the ground. And Proverbs tells us that that is what our hearts are. It's where the rest of our life streams from, is determined by. So our heart is not simply just where our emotions come from, where, where our thoughts come from. 
It's not just an emotional or a thought factory. Our hearts really more are a love factory, a worship factory. That is what our hearts are doing. Um, Tim Keller describes the biblical portrait of the heart, and he says that the heart is the seat of your fundamental commitments, hopes, and trusts. So that's deeper than just our thoughts or emotions. That's where our emotions and thoughts come from, but it's our hearts are the, the, the seat of our fundamental hopes, trusts, and commitments. So your heart is where you hold the beliefs about what you need in order to receive life joyfully. So your heart is where, is where these, these beliefs are stored that says, I need this in order for my life to be worth living. And so we then re we orient our entire lives around whatever that is, and we make sure that we get that, because we don't want to live without that, whatever that is. So how do you know? How do you know what, what your heart loves? What you're really, really committed to, what you really hope for, what you really trust in, how do you know that? How do you know what is at the deepest level of your desire and that which you're willing to sacrifice everything else for? How do you, how do you find that out? Ask yourself, what is the thing that if you lost it, you would lose your will to live? What is that thing that, that you, are, you are straining after, that if you, could, if you could never attain it, that you would give up on your life? that you'd rather be dead? Or what is that thing that maybe you, you have, you've, you've attained, you've tasted, you've seen, you, you, you hold close, that if you lost it, you'd want to give up? Or think about it like this. Another way to think about it is, same idea. What, if, what is that one thing that if you lost it, it would make your life a living hell? Same idea, but just that your life would be completely miserable. Whatever that thing is, is a thing that is on the throne of your heart. And that thing is your master. And it determines everything you think, everything you feel, everything you do, everything you say. I mean, everything. Everything flows from that. I think for some of us, for some of you, your, your life would not be worth living if you couldn't get the approval of others. Like, if, if you could never get people to recognize you, if everybody just forgot you, your life would be pointless. You would feel like there's no point. Well, this doesn't matter anymore. If no one really saw how great you, you were. And so because of that, it, you push others down so, you, so that you can lift yourself up, right? You seek to destroy those who would threaten Others are proving of you. you. You exaggerate and lie about yourself in order to, to make yourself look bigger and better and cooler than you are. Some of us, um, we would see our lives not, be, not being worth living if the only options that we had for a spouse were someone unattractive. Like the thing on your heart, the thing that's ruling your heart is having not only a spouse, but, but a tin. It doesn't less than that, okay? No nine and a halves, no nine and three quarters, like ten. So that's it. 
And if I can't get that, then honestly, my life would be a living hell. Like if I had to be married to someone unattractive, I'd rather not be married and I'd rather not live. Or, kind of similar, similar way, some of you desire so deeply just to be in a relationship with anybody that for you to imagine a life of singleness, that is a living hell for you. To think just being alone, you don't see that as a, as a viable way to live. And so those things, that they determine how we think, feel, and act. Those things that we're committed to at our deepest level. Tim Keller also says, he says that what the heart chooses the mind perceives and finds reasonable. The emotions desire and find beautiful. The will does and finds practical. So what the heart chooses, your mind perceives and finds it reasonable. Your emotions desire and find it beautiful. And your will does and finds practical. But the reality is, is we, we know that our hearts love unlovely things. Our hearts settle for things that don't satisfy. So it, what ends up happening is that our heart chooses unreasonable things, and our minds find it reasonable. Our hearts choose things that our emotions find beautiful that are actually corrupted and deteriorating. Our heart chooses things that our will finds practical that are absolutely absurd. We're broken, every single one of us. We are broken. And this is, this is the anatomy of that brokenness. And so because of that, we structure our lives in a way to get what we want. I mean, is that not what James says? He says, you desire and you do not have. Okay, so you desire something that you want. Your heart, some of the heart. Something that your heart wants and you can't get it, so what do you do? James says you murder. You desire and you cannot obtain, so you murder to get it. You're willing to do anything to get what you want. Or, or says um, you covet and you cannot obtain, so what do you do? You fight and quarrel. You, you bicker, you argue. You, you're a miserable person to be around. <laughs> I am a miserable person to be around when I'm like that. Because our hearts, and, and, and there's almost nothing we can do about it. We want the career. We want the big money. We want the big house. We want the hot wife or hot husband. And so we murder and fight our way to the top. We, we want people to like us, so we murder and fight our way to the top. We want sexual pleasure, so we murder and fight our way to the top. We want power, so we murder and fight our way to the top. It's a pretty bleak situation. What are we supposed to do about this? What do we do? Well, what is, what is, how, does, how does God direct us through the text that we're looking at this morning? Still in verse 23, it says, keep your heart. Okay, keep your heart. Your, your, your translation might say, guard your heart. Okay? When I hear that phrase, guard your heart, I typically think of it as, as in a positive way, of like, like, guard, like the secret service guarding the president. You know, like this valuable asset, protecting it from external forces. Okay, that could corrupt it or hurt it. But that's not the way that this word is being used here. It's being used in the opposite. It's being used in protecting, guarding, watching a prisoner 
so that they won't break out and wreak havoc in society. So our heart is something that needs to be guarded, not from the terrible world out there, you know, ruining our cute, nice, bubbly, furry little hearts, but our, we need to protect our hearts from messing up the world out there. So again, how in the world do we do this? This is a lot, this is a lot more difficult than just obey, not obey. Choose God, don't choose God. Be nice, don't be nice. I mean, this, is, this is more difficult than that. So I want to pull back a little bit to verse 20 through 22. So this, this father is talking to his son. And he, and he says, my son, be attentive to my words and incline your ear to my sayings. He's saying, listen, listen to what I'm telling you. And what is he telling him? He's telling him, um, he's not just giving him novel advice. He is helping him uh, imagine and digest what it would look like to practically live out God's law. So he, he's going off of Torah, first books of the, the Old Testament, and saying, this is what it would look like for a young man to live this out in his life, okay? Which, this is a pretty simple concept for most of us, those of us who follow Jesus. But what this is getting at is saying, so if you want to protect your heart from wreaking evil and havoc and taking your life on a crazy joyride and running it into a wall, you need to internalize God's law. Read scripture, memorize scripture, meditate on scripture. Let it do something in you. But the reality is, is uh, if we're honest, we know that's not enough. It's not enough. Colossians 1 talks about uh, things like that are not enough to stop the indulgence of the flesh, right? We each have an appetite for that which will kill us. We have a suicidal appetite. So just telling ourselves, kind of downloading these black and white propositions into our brains isn't enough to stop that. What we can't miss is this, is that Christ is the key to the whole Bible, to the Old Testament. You cannot read the Old Testament without Christ right in the middle of it. And what do we see Christ saying in John 5? Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, these religious guys who were doing just this. They were good Proverbs 4 dudes. Intaking and internalizing the word of God. And what does he say? He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. He says, it is they that testify to me. And you don't have life because you won't come to me. Jesus is saying, all, that, all the Old Testament books, all the Proverbs, Proverbs 4, everything is pointing to me. It's highlighting me. It's preparing the whole world to receive me when I show up. It's getting you ready. And we see in the New Testament that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He, he fulfills the law in our place. Jesus is the wisdom of God. And so what it's saying here is not some, don't just, we need to internalize Scripture and meditate on it and memorize it, but that is not enough. 
What we have to do is look to the one to whom it is pointing, to the law is pointing, which is Christ. And when we see Christ on the cross, when our hearts, empowered by the Spirit, and the eyes of our hearts are enlightened to see Christ on the cross, dying in our place, willingly giving himself up for us, not out of compulsion, but because he loves sinners. We, we see the wisdom of God being murdered by fools and for fools, and he says, this is my privilege, my joy, because I love you, always loved you, and will always love you. On the basis of my character, my heart, my work, not the basis of your character, your heart, and your work. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ controls us. It arrests us. It sickens us. I mean, when you, when you see Christ, with the eyes of faith, when you see Christ giving himself for you on the cross, taking your place, it stops you dead in your tracks. And is that not exactly what Proverbs 4 says that we need? It says that your heart needs to be kept in custody. And that is exactly what that word means, compels. The love of Christ keeps our heart in custody. It arrests it. And what happens? Slowly, day by day, Jesus becomes more and more and more beautiful to you. And the things that you desire, the big house, big salary, the sexual pleasure, the approval of man, those things begin to, to seem less and less and less desirable. That's how the cross protects our heart. It's what the cross is that gives us a new heart. It, it exchanges the heart of stone that we had and gives us a heart of flesh. And from there, what does it do? It begins to breathe life into our body, produces thoughts and emotions and a trajectory in life that is not suicidal, but is life-giving to both us and to others. And so we, we, we can replace the words here in Proverbs with the Father to His Son, with our Father, to us as His children. And hear it saying, my children, be attentive to my son. Incline your ear to his good news. Let those words not escape from your sight. Keep him within your heart, for he is life to those who find him, and healing to all their flesh. So don't, you don't have to live your life trying to move forward, looking back at your past and all the stuff back there. You don't have to live your life trying to go forward, looking to the side at everybody around you. We can live our lives looking straight right in front of us at Christ crucified for you. And we can say with the fourth century church father Augustine, 
You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, help us to believe. Help us to trust. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Go in grace and peace. You are dismissed. For more information about Samford University, check out samford.edu.